Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Good morning, church. And thank you. Thanks, Michael. My spirit has been burning for several days now, and I have asked Michael whether I could take the pulpit this morning and share with you what the Lord has been ministering to me for a number of days. Let's just open in prayer, please. Father God, as we approach your holy word, in the precious name of Jesus this morning, we thank you for the privilege of being able to sit at your feet, to hear and receive your precious word, reminded of your words that says, he who finds your words finds life and health to all of the flesh. We thank you that you did send your word through Jesus Christ our Lord, healed and delivered us from the hand of all of our enemies. I pray that you will anoint every ear so that we may hear and receive truth, that you will anoint every eye that we may see truth, and be changed by it from within so that our lives may bring glory and honor to your precious name. We are yours, dear Lord. We do not belong to ourselves. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we thank you for today, and we thank you for your word in Jesus' precious name. The title of my lesson this morning is called The Classroom and the Battlefield. You may say, strange title. The Classroom and the Battlefield. Let me explain. The classroom is a place of learning. Today, this is a classroom in this hour. You are learning. You are hearing the word. You are learning truth. That's the purpose of the classroom, is to learn. The battlefield is the place where we live life, where we face adversity, and where we are given opportunities to practice what we learn in the classroom. Amen? So now you understand the title of my message, The Classroom and the Battlefield. The classroom's purpose is to equip us, to educate us, and prepare us for kingdom living. That's the purpose of the classroom. It is true in the natural as well as in the spiritual. 
Would you say amen to that? Now, if we faithfully and consistently put into practice what we learn in the classroom, the Word of God assures us that we will be like wise builders who build their lives and the works on solid foundation, as Jesus said, on the rock. And no matter what adversity we face in life, no matter what storm comes against us, if our foundations are solid, not only we will survive the storm, but the Word of God says we will triumph in it. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Every one of us will face at one time or another adversity. You, you are not excluded. I'm not excluded from adversity, from tests and trials. Some of them will be financial pressures. Others will be physical adversity. Others will be financial pressures or, or rather uh, relational pressures and adversity, even to the point of a painful divorce that many within the church have experienced. You can be sure of that. What we do in those times of adversity will determine and make all the difference. If we face them with faith and courage and allow the grace of God and what we have been taught has taken root in our lives and we practice what we have been taught in the face of adversity, then the grace of God will carry us through onto the other side, the side of victory, the side of blessing. Amen? Amen. Or, if we do not face them with faith, with corresponding action, doing what we have been taught, these trials will intimidate us and will turn us into victims of fear, despondency, and discouragement. Our attitude makes all the difference, folks. How you face adversity, how you face your trial, what you do in the hour of adversity will either make you stronger or will defeat you. Adversity can become a stepping stone to promotion or a tombstone, your tombstone. And many have been buried under the rubble of tests and trials and pain and regret and unforgiveness and bitterness and anger. And they are struggling still under those rubbles, unable to lift themselves up from them simply because they have not put into practice what they learned in the classroom. You can say amen to that. I have learned both from the Scriptures and from my own experience that it is in times of adversity that we develop character. It is in times of adversity that we develop mental and spiritual 
fortitude that enables us to continue our journey of faith without being derailed from our purpose and the call of God on our lives. Would you say amen to that? Hallelujah. It is in those seasons of adversity that we are called upon, or rather, the Spirit of God is calling us to engage with God, to engage with His Word, and put into practice that which we have learned. God is calling you to put into practice that which you know from the Word in times of adversity. Not when everything is going well. Not when everything is good. But when you face the test, when you face the trial, when you face your enemies, when you face adversity, God is calling us by His Spirit to engage with Him, not to run from Him, not to run to the, to the bottle or to the pills, but to run to God, to engage with Him, to engage with His Word. Amen. That's what God desires from us. Praise God. And put into practice what you've learned, what you know from the Word. Being taught the Word is important. But it is far more important than putting into practice what you have been taught. Amen? Amen. You know, God the Father is so gracious to give us both the classroom as well as the experiential knowledge. You know, there's intellectual knowledge, but there's knowledge that comes from experience. When you go through a trial, being obedient to God, and you come out on the other side, you've learned something. And God is so gracious, He gives us not only the classroom, but also opportunities in life to practice what we learn from His Word. And to prove time and time again that God's Word is faithful. That God's Word is truth. That God's Word is greater than all. Amen. We learn from theory, but we also learn from our experience. That's what I've learned. Praise God. The Apostle James, would you turn there with me, please, if you don't mind? I'm going to put this on so I can see better. The Apostle James says, in James chapter 1, verse 22... Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Let's look at that verse once again. Powerful and very important verse in the life of the believer. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Well, it is evident that many of us don't need the devil to deceive us. We deceive ourselves. Amen? How do we deceive ourselves? By hearing the Word of God and not putting it into practice. 
by knowing what God's Word says and yet fail to act on it. James says, faith without corresponding action, without works, is dead. Amen? Now, James compares such a person, if you read further, as one who looks, he says, into the mirror, goes his way, and straight away he forgets what he looks like. Isn't that amazing? He has no recollection of what he saw in the mirror when he looked at the mirror. And he went his way and he just forgot what he looked like. Well, here's the principle. If we do not put into practice what we know, what we hear, what we learn in the classroom, we will end up losing it. It is just as though we've never heard it. We've never learned it because we don't practice it. What are the things that you remember from your school days? The things that you practice. I don't remember much about geography and history, but I do know that plus two and two equals four. Four times nine is 36. Why? Because we practice those things every single day. What you practice, you retain. What you fail to practice, you lose. Just like you've never heard it, you've never learned it. That's what James says. And the word he says, look what he says in verse 25, James 1, 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, This one will be blessed in what he does. What he says here is that the word we obey becomes the perfect law of liberty that sets us free from Satan and all of his cohorts and ushers us into the blessings of God. If you want the word of God to become the perfect law of liberty that delivers you, that sets you free from all, put it into practice. Obey. And that word which you practice will be your Savior, your deliverer. Amen. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty-one through to 23. Jesus is speaking here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Notice that Jesus said many, not a few. These are days of massive deception, folks. Many are deceived today. What we see here in those words that we just read is a perfect example 
of what I have described earlier, self-deluded people. Why? These folk were, were so convinced that Jesus would receive them with open arms simply because they used his name and done many wonders. They prophesied. It's amazing to me. How could God use such people? But yet we see it from time to time. Ministers that are well-known, famous for their preaching skills, for the signs and wonders, and then it is discovered that their secret life, their personal life, was filled with lawlessness. They practice lawlessness. They indulge themselves in all manner of lawlessness. What is lawlessness? They didn't obey the laws of God. The Bible says lawlessness is transgression. It is sin. Amen. The opposite of lawlessness is what? Righteousness. These folk, they didn't practice righteousness. They practiced, they lived in it. They practiced lawlessness. That's why Jesus says, depart from me. I don't know you. They shared no intimacy with the Lord. They had no relationship with God. They used his name. They came to him for what they could get. They didn't love him. They didn't share intimacy with him. They practiced lawlessness. And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. And yet they called him Lord. Did you hear that? They called him Lord because they said to him, Lord, Lord. God help us. Let's look at what Luke says on the same subject. Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 46 to 49. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood came, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. These are wise words from our Master. In the span of life we have been given on this earth, all of us are geared toward building something. Would you agree with that? Amen? It is in our nature to do so. We are builders just like our Heavenly Father is. And there are only two classes of people, folks. Only two. Those who build their life and their works on the rock hearing and obeying the word, and those who build their lives 
and the works on sand, hearing but not obeying. Amen? And the storms of life, as I mentioned to you, will come to everyone. And the outcome of those storms depends on the foundation that we have laid beneath our feet. Amen. Obedience to the Lordship of Jesus will weather any storm that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But notice, obedience to the Lordship of Jesus. This is the principle I believe the Lord Jesus is endeavoring to communicate to us and us here today. If he is the Lord of our lives, then we need not fear any storm. We do not need to fear any trial or any test. No work, that, no weapon that is formed against the believer who has submitted to the Lordship of Jesus will destroy him. Let's not forget the Lordship of Jesus. No weapon. Many, many declare that word. No weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. If you are under the Lordship of Jesus, if you're not, it will destroy you. He will destroy you. He will take you out. Let's not kid ourselves and let us not be deceived. Amen? Jesus is not only a Savior. He is Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And he saves those who obey him. This is the gospel. In the modern church today, much has been taught and preached about the grace of God. I am for the, thank God for his grace. About the love of God. Thank God that God is a loving God. That he's a merciful God. That he is a gracious God. But not much emphasis is given to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Would you agree with that statement? How many messages have you heard about the Lordship of Jesus Christ? That He is Lord, not just Savior. That He will save those who not only acknowledge Him as Lord, but submit to His Lordship. It's quiet in here today. Not much emphasis has been given to the Lordship of Jesus or the terrible consequences to those who reject His Lordship. It's a terrible thing to reject Jesus as Lord. Because if He is not your Lord, then someone else is. Either your self-will or something else. Or someone else. Whom do you obey? Amen? Some people make their spouse their Lord. Hello? Shall I go on? Huh? The Bible warns us, folks, that many, many 
Many will be deceived in the last days. And one, I believe, of the main reasons is false teaching and half-truth preaching. We don't preach the whole gospel. We preach a humanistic gospel. We don't say, come to the Lord Jesus and lose your life. What do we say? Come to the Lord Jesus, he'll solve all your problems. He'll give you this, he'll give you that, he'll give you that. Yes, but you've got to give him something. Yourself. He who comes to me, Jesus said, let him do what? Deny himself. Take up the cross and follow me daily. Amen? God cannot be mocked, folks. We were warned. Look what Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8 says. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived, church. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, and he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. This is the word of the Lord. This is gospel truth. You cannot expect to sow to your flesh and reap life and peace. Amen. Disobedience and self-indulgence will lead us into corruption and spiritual death. Obedience and self-denial will lead us into life and peace. These are the two choices. Either you live to please yourself, to follow your dreams, to pursue your comfort, your pleasures, your desires, or you live to please the one who saved you. Pursue the will of God. Put the will of God first place in your life. Above your spouse, above your children, above your comfort, above your pleasure. What is the will of God for me? And obey that. At all costs. I'm going to share some of my own personal experience and testimony. Can I do that? I always like to do that. I've been walking with God now for 47 years. Next month, I've learned some things, and I've seen many things in the church. Nothing surprises me anymore. I've seen the bad, I've seen the good, and I've seen the ugly. In the early years of my walk with the Lord, when the Spirit of God began to teach me about discipleship, about the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I was prompted unconsciously to take a piece of paper and write down every sphere of my life. I asked this important question, and I am encouraging you and advising you to do the same. This is what I asked myself. Who am I, and what am I commanded to do? This is discipleship, folks. And I wrote, first of all, I am a child of God, 
born of his spirit. Went down the line, a husband to my wife, a father to my children, a son to my parents, a member of a spiritual family of a local church, a member of the Greek community where I lived with my family, and I was a businessman at that time. I wrote down every sphere. This is who I am. And then, listen carefully. It helped me. It helped me a great deal to write down all those areas and go through the Bible. What does the Word of God say concerning each one of those areas? Each one of them. I studied. I meditated each and every area. Listen, the Bible is not a religious book. Don't treat it as such. It is a manual of instructions for kingdom living. Did you get that? You can write in it. You can color it. Amen? Amen. It is a manual for successful and kingdom living. The psalmist said, Psalm 119, 105, Your word, Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Your word. That's why I love the word so much. I would meditate on each of those instructions and ask the Holy Spirit to help me put into practice what I was learning. Listen, without God's word, we are lost. We are confused. And we have no sense of right and wrong and no sense of direction whatsoever. That's why scripture says, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Let me give you an example. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, he addresses the fathers, and this is what he says. Ephesians 6 and verse 4. And you fathers, now he's talking to me, I'm a father of three, do not, he's not talking to the mothers, he is talking to the fathers. Some of you fathers leave the discipline to the mothers. Be a father, be a man. Take authority. You're the head of the house. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Whew. I had no idea how to raise our children in the training and admonition of the Lord. I grew up in a house where the name of the Lord was not even mentioned or honored, believe it or not. My mom and dad, if they attended church maybe twice a year, Easter and Christmas, not even that. The name of God was not mentioned. Prayer was not mentioned. God was not honored. He was not, he was not part of our lives as I grew up. 
My father was gone for years at a time in South Africa. Once he went for five years and he came back for a few weeks, then he went back again to South Africa, then he came back to Cyprus, and he took me with him and brought me here at the age of 13. And then my mom and my brother followed. So as I was growing up with my brother, it was my mother and us. All she knew how to do was to shout at us. When we did something wrong, she would close both doors, the entrance and the exit, and she would take the rod. Usually my brother always got away with it. He would run away before the doors were closed. I stayed and got the hiding for both of us. Yeah, that's true. That's exactly what happened. And you know, reading those words from the Bible made me realize how disadvantaged I was. What do you do? Here I've got three children. Know nothing about being a father. So, I prayed, Lord, help me. Lord, please help me. And the Lord guided me to a Christian bookstore. And there I obtained a book by Andrew Murray called How to Raise Your Children in a Godly Way. It was a devotional. Every day I would read the devotional for the day. I would pray the prayer at the bottom of it. The next day I would do the same. Then the Lord led me to another book by James Dobson called Dare to Discipline. I cannot tell you what a change that book, that one single book, both of them helped me. But Dare to Discipline changed my view and my thoughts about administering discipline. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I would sit, <laughs> the time of discipline for me and our children became, and you can ask my wife to testify to that, a session of bonding with our children. I would sit them down, explaining to them why I was disciplining them, administer the rod, never in anger. Afterwards, we would hug and make up and end with prayer. In fact, I don't know if Helen remembers it. One day, I came from the shop. We closed the store. My wife went home earlier, and they were fighting, the two of them. I think it was before Stephen was born. When I entered the door, I don't remember, was it Athena or Helen? They came to the door with a wooden spoon. <laughs> this is no joke. That is it. That exactly, it's happened. Dad, We've been naughty. Okay, sit them down. What did you do? And they would tell me what they did. Now, what must I do? And they would tell me what I would do. I would read them the scripture. And I would, they would bend over. I would administer the rod. Then I would hug them and I would ask them, why did daddy discipline you? Because you love me, daddy. Because you don't want me to be naughty. And we would hug, make up, and then close in prayer. Any one of you do this? Any of you, you fathers do that? I know Helen does that with Michael. 
<laughs> not with Michael. <laughs> I mean, I watch them. I watch them how they raise the kids, and I can bear witness to that. Uh, you know, I thank God for the lessons I learned from these two men of God. I learned so much. They carried me through my ignorance and taught me how to be the father that God intended for every father to be. Much of the problems, if not all, we have in our society today is because of the absence of godly fathers. Broken homes, fathers are not there. And even if they are there, they're not there. In every area of my life as a young man, listen to me, I struggled and felt so disadvantaged for I had no role model to follow. No godly example. How to be a husband, how to be a father, how to be a son, or a responsible member of a community. When I read, husband, love your wife as Christ also loved the church, that tore me to pieces. Never heard my dad say to my mother, I love you. He called her a woman. That's, that's what men did in that culture, in that age. A yanega. That's a meaning a woman. Never called her by her name. Hello? Yes. 1950, 1960, 1970. I felt so disadvantaged. But in some strange way, that very disadvantage helped me to search out, to seek God's face in and I did discover truth. The search for knowledge and the struggles I went through built something in me that made me stronger and more appreciative to the truth. That's my personal testimony. When it came to the Greek community that I was part of, the Spirit of God compelled me the compassion of the Spirit, not to be silent, but to share my testimony at every opportunity I was given. I would tell them, Jesus Christ saved me. I was at the point of committing suicide, and the Lord rescued me and saved me. And not only that, he saved my marriage. He brought me back to my wife and to my unborn child. I would not remain silent at the risk of being rejected or even persecuted, which it happened. Some of them believed, some of them rejected the truth. But I would not be silent. That's my testament. What are you doing? Do you hide at work that you're a Christian? 
because of what people will say about you? Hmm? Or are you bold and courageous and at every opportunity you share your testimony? And you tell them how grateful you are because God saved you and delivered you, paid for your sins on the cross. Some of them will believe, some of them will reject you. So what? One of the, one of the scriptures that was highlighted to my spirit so much was the one from Luke, I think, chapter 8, where Jesus delivered the demoniac, the demons out of the man, and he said to him, and he wanted to follow the Lord, and Jesus said to him, no, go back to your own house, show, tell them what great things God has done for you. We are to speak, we are not to keep quiet. We are never to remain silent. At every opportunity that is given to us, whether it's your hairdresser, whether it's your butcher, or whether it's someone that you meet from time to time. I would witness to the people that come and work for me. The gardener, the maid, the other day she said to me, Sir, I want to thank you so much for leading me to Christ. Today she's a strong believer. And you know what? She even tithes. Yes. What if I didn't witness to her? She's a precious soul that Christ died for. Amen. As I recall the primitive years of my rebirth, I've always endeavored, and I want, I'm communicating, I'm not bragging on myself. I'm sharing my experience and my life with you. I'm inviting you into my own private space. In the, in the primitive years of my faith, I've always endeavored to put the will of God first in my life. Always. To seek first the kingdom of God. What is beneficial, what is profitable for the kingdom not for my welfare. Even living in a country that was collapsing, the health system was collapsing, the educational system was collapsing, and everybody was running for the exit in Zimbabwe, 1980, 1981, 82. People were panicking, full of fear, selling everything for nothing, just to get away from it all. But I said, I will not move unless I hear from God. When are you moving? Well, the Lord Jesus didn't say anything. So I sought the Lord for weeks. And he spoke to me and he said, stay in this land and I will bless you. And I will prosper you. We stayed another 10 years, and God blessed and prospered us spiritually. That's where I launched my ministry, our ministry, and he blessed us financially in the desert. I would not move unless I hear. Today, people change jobs just like that because they got a bit more an increase or because it's more suitable, it's more comfortable. They never consider to seek God first. They move from one country to the next. Have you talked to the Lord about it? No. 
Why? Is your life yours? Then Jesus is not Lord of your life. Hello? Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. I gauge the atmosphere today where I travel, I observe and I can testify it is not the same today as it was 40 to 50 years ago. Not the same. The compassion for those who are lost and the zeal to see them saved is no longer evident in the church. The hunger for knowledge and truth has dissipated. The zeal for God's house almost non-existent. Church attendance, optional. It's too cold today, better stay home. Oh, it's my birthday today. I don't know. People try to find excuse not to be in church rather than looking for excuses to be in church. Come on. Say amen. It is the truth. It is the truth. It's optional. Priorities turned upside down. This is the state of the church, folks. We live in a culture where pleasure and comfort is more attractive than godliness and the pursuit for material things more attractive than the pursuit for wisdom and knowledge. Sad to say, much of that culture has infiltrated the church And as the world goes, so does the church. I want to read a quote. I want to read a portion, and I'm quoting from the book entitled, How Saved Are We? by Michael L. Brown. This is what he says. In times past, the church went into the world and converted the lost to the Lord. Today, the world has entered the church and perverted the law of the Lord. Two thousand years ago, the ancient world was amazed by the disciples' courage. Today, the modern world is amused by our carnality. Once we effectively evangelized the lost, today we entertain them. We have more of a soap opera gospel than a sold-out gospel. And here is the tragedy of it all. We have adjusted our standards to the constantly declining standards of our society for so long that we do not even realize how far we have fallen. Judge those words, whether they are the truth or not, as you look around and observe and see what's going on in our churches today. The words of our Lord Jesus in Matthew 24, 12 are being fulfilled right before our eyes. This is what he said, Matthew 24, 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. 
And he's talking about believers here. The love. And he's using the word agape in the Greek. Will grow cold. Why? Because lawlessness is abounding. This is my prayer. Revive us, Lord, and we shall be revived. Breathe upon us, O breath of God, until we are wholly thine, until this earthly, selfish part of us glows with your fire divine. How many within the house of God are really burdened for the state of the church today? How many of us are, are truly burning with a zeal to see the restoration of the house of God? We're so concerned about our own houses, our own lives, our own comfort, our own pleasure, that there's no room to wrestle with God and to be burdened for the state of God's house. Haggai's words in the Old Covenant are applicable to us today. This is what he says in Haggai chapter 1, verse 9 through to 11. You can read the whole chapter. He's talking about the state of the church, the state of the house of God. He was talking about Israel then, but those words are applicable to us today. And he says... You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. God says, my house is neglected, therefore heavens are closed. Selfishness. And this is my absolute conviction as I close. Only a sovereign move of God will elevate us out of our backsliding state and purge our lives from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit according to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. The sovereign move of God though will only come as we prepare for it. How? Through fervent, heartfelt prayer both on an individual basis and on a collective basis. A heartfelt, consistent prayer and repentance. Amen? Absolute obedience to the truth. Go through your life. Do a homework, an exercise like I've done. Write down, who am I? Write all the aspects, all the sphere of your life. Write them down. Go to the Word of God. Where is it that you are not obedient? Engage God and engage His Word. Go on a fast. Say, Lord, I don't want to remain the same. 
I don't want you to come next year and you look at my life and nothing has changed, no fruit. I don't want you to come next year and look at my life and there is no evidence that there has been genuine repentance. I haven't witnessed to anyone. I haven't led anyone to the Lord. I haven't been in prayer. I haven't studied the word. I haven't been a husband to my, to my wife. I haven't been the wife to my husband. I haven't been the father that I should have been. Stop looking others. Look at your heart and yourself and say, Woe is me, O Lord. Shut yourself up in a room. And don't come out. Take leave and go on a fast and prayer. How many of us take leave to go on holiday? Why can't you take leave to go on a spiritual retreat and see what the Lord will tell you? And take a notebook with you and your Bible and nothing else and start writing down the things that the Lord reveals to you. You may wait a day or two or three. But there will come a time when God will appear in, 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 a, fiery, in a fiery presence, purge you, cleanse you, love you, comfort you afterwards. The truth hurts, but God heals. Amen. Listen, we need courage to face the truth. A lot of courage. Some of us are afraid to go to the doctor. You know why? (laughs) We don't want to face what's wrong with us. We don't want the doctor to tell us the truth. So I'd rather not go. And we stay without it. And then the trouble starts. We left it too long. Yeah. You remember the rich young ruler? He saw truth. He came to Jesus kneeling. He had good manners, good values. Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the commandments. He said, I've observed all that. Jesus looked at him and the Bible says he loved him and gave him truth. One thing you lack. Your possessions are your Lord. Sell all you have. Give to the poor. Come follow me. He wanted truth. But he couldn't face the truth. He walked around and walked away. Jesus left him. Even though he loved him. Do we love truth so much that we can stand to receive the truth and be changed by it. Only truth can change us. And let me say this. Nothing will change unless we change. Nothing will shift unless you shift your heart towards the king. And I've realized this through the years. No matter what I preach, no matter what I teach, somewhere, somewhere in my preaching, the, the, the prophetic anointing will come through and will point people to the Lord and to repentance and to godliness and holiness. Why not start with us? Why not say to the Lord, here I am, Lord, and mean it?
have your way with me and mean it, really mean it. Not a lip service. God knows our hearts. I want to close with Jeremiah 29, verse 12 and 13. And this is the word of the Lord to us. Then you will call upon me and go pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and from the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. This is God's promise. When we come to him in sincerity of heart and we lift up our voice to him and we cry out to him for mercy, when we seek his face with all of our heart, he says, we will find him. And when we find him, we'll find life. And when we find him, we will find peace. But most importantly, we will find ourselves, our purpose, and our God-given calling and destiny and walk in it. Blessings to you and to your family. And I trust that what you've heard today, you'll take it to heart. You will seek God's face. You will examine your heart, your life. And you will begin to put into practice what you know from the Word. Amen? Thank you. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.